Cheers to our mates at Chisholm Clark for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Work with Chisholm Clark on your next career move, New Zealand specialist, legal search firm. Kia ora, no mai hoki mai and welcome back to the What A Lawyer podcast. I'm your host Sam Lindsay from Chisholm Clark and joining me today is another environmental law expert, but this time specialising in ESG or environmental, social and governance. What a journey so far. She began her career overseas practicing European Union law in multiple jurisdictions before moving out to Australia for some further study and working as a researcher to the Chief Judge of the Environmental Court in New South Wales. In 2016, she was recognised as an Australian planning and environmental rising star in the Doyle's Guide to the Australian Legal Profession and continued practicing environmental law in Sydney until 2019 before relocating to New Zealand. During this move, she worked with and for government agencies and local authorities focusing on statutory functions, businesses who want to continue to serve the customers and NGOs fighting the good fight. Now as a senior associate in the Denton's Kensington Swans environmental and ESG team, she co-produces the monthly ESG newsletter, is an active member on the Young Resource Management Lawyers Association of New Zealand, loves mentoring juniors and giving back to the community. What a lawyer. It's Anna Kokulescu. Hi Sam, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Welcome Anna. It's great to have you on the show and thanks for being with us today. So what have you been up to lately? Well, it's kind of a mixed bag to just take today, for instance. Um, Spent quite a bit of my day doing resource management work and then also did some updates on ESG. We're just preparing our latest newsletter, so that always takes a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. You can imagine so. And so, look, before we head into today's topic around ESG, we obviously had that snippet of information about your career once you got to this side of the world, but w would you be able to take us through how it all started and then how you got here as well? Yeah, sure. So I started, um, I studied law in Romania where I'm, where I'm from, and I actually specialized in European Union law. And I then ended up moving to France to do a master's in European Union law. I met my partner who happens to be a Kiwi, moved to Australia where I um, did post-grad studies also in law and where I specialized in environmental law. And then we stayed there for about 15 years and I ended up practicing there in environmental law. So I turned out I really enjoyed it. Um, and we moved here kind of um, just lucky. We moved in 2019 we wanted a bit of a change and came across to Wellington and then um, COVID came. So um, I ended up just working here also in environmental law in a couple of law firms at the moment I'm at Dinton's. And I also worked for a year with the Environment Protection Authority. So it was quite a nice mix of getting some government work. Yeah, well. some private practice and some, and some public um, environmental law there as well. Cool, thanks Anna. Now, the topic of today's episode is all about ESG or environmental, social and governance. This is perhaps a less common area of law and one we're excited to explore with you. So first question to you is, and broadly speaking, so before we focus in on each stream, but what is ESG? 
ESG is a is a concept that's kind of a continuation of the idea of corporate social responsibility. So it covers environment, social, and governance issues. They are actually specific to um, each sector, and in a sense, they are specific to each client. From a lawyer's perspective, because there are other perspectives as well, for instance, ESG is being used by um, ratings companies to work out where exactly a company fits on if you look at it as a chat on the environment side, the social side and the governance side, from a lawyer's perspective, it's a little bit the space between where the legislation is and where it's trending and where it's going to go. So it's a space where um, if you work in private practice like I do, you can actually advise clients of you could take some action in in this direction and you are quite likely to be ahead of your competitors the legislation is moving towards that whether for instance we're looking at tighter carbon emissions or um, modern day slavery legislation coming into effect so in all sorts of areas and it can impact clients in very different ways depending on their industry and also depending on what they individually want to do because this isn't necessarily legislation yet. And sometimes it also includes just broader policy work that they can implement themselves in their own time. So it is quite an interesting space. And the way in which these areas of interest of ESG are defined are actually based on stakeholders and stakeholders understood very broadly. So it's not so much the companies themselves saying, oh, we really want to do a really great job on the environment, a lot of times they do that in response to someone. And that someone used to always be, that's the classic law view, is that you will cater to your own shareholders and to your board. While now the concept of ESG has taken that a few steps further, which is that you also take into account um, your customers, your consumers, if for instance, you are um, making clothes and other things or food, then it becomes really important that actually your customers stay with you and they don't just leave in droves. So you will try and fit in with whatever the market asks of you in that sense. And that is seen as being quite interesting. And also these days, because of the risk of litigation that a lot of people have by from greenwashing and so many other things, um, yes, NGOs end up having quite an effect as well, also as stakeholders in this broader public discussion about which direction are we heading into. So this is the ESG space. So it's quite huge and rather amorphous in a sense. I find it interesting because it, yeah, it is a bit like crystal ball gazing. Yeah, totally. It kind of sounds broad, but also at the same time, a little bit vague. And because of the vagueness, uh, you know, given that there is no actual legislation supporting it at the moment, I suppose that does add to the interest that I suppose, you know, the popularity of, of the ESG space could actually come into. So let's dive into the first element of ESG, which is environmental. And what exactly does that mean in the ESG space? It can mean a lot of things. So depending which industry you are part of, for a lot of companies, it will end up having the sustainability piece. How much are you emitting? When you are either yourself as an operation, for instance, obviously I'm, I'm part of a law firm, we have an office, you have your own emissions. Um, if you do produce goods and services, then how much are you emitting 
as part of your general manufacturing and so on? And what does that entail? So, and you have along this spectrum, you have quite a few, um, yeah, you have quite a few actors dealing with it. Also in general, how do you deal with other environmental matters, contaminated land, pollution in general? Um, so there are quite a few aspects there. And what about the social side? On the social side, a lot of it revolves around things like um, diversity on boards, how you treat your employees. Um, it's kind of taking that side. Also, modern day slavery. Gosh, modern day slavery. That's a good topic for another episode. What about governance? And on the governance side, for instance, you have issues around um, corruption, but also just generally having rules that govern your company or your entity. It doesn't necessarily have to be a company. Um, having parity on a board as well, it's that kind of probably sits between social and governance, where you have it as in parity between men and women and having representation there. So there are quite a few aspects that could apply to anybody, whether they are for profit or not for profit. So yeah, it is it is extraordinarily broad. And in a sense, I think that's where you can say that that's a weakness, but it's also where the power of it lies. Everyone can choose which aspects they want to pursue for their own entity. And I think this is where it, it becomes really interesting because you can just take one aspect. Say, for instance, if you are in the um, property investment space and you decide that you would like to upgrade most of the properties that you have to make sure that they are environmentally friendly and so on, you are going to attract a different style of tenants than what you might have had before. And you might also be able to future-proof your portfolio so that in the future, if governments come and they say, now you need to have much better, um, say, insulation and other things, then you have already provided that. But you have done that in your own time, as opposed to having to fit within legislated timeframes of a year or two, and then competing with a whole lot of other people trying to do it at the same time. So, yeah. Okay. And have you seen any really good examples of companies or industries applying an ESG framework to their operations and getting really successful outcomes? Amazingly, and in a sense where it does feel probably um, strange, mining companies are doing a pretty good job because of the because of the sheer fact that the business that they're in at the moment is quite contentious. Mm. We are talking about extraction of, of minerals, of coal and other things. Mining companies have then, a lot of the large ones have taken it upon themselves to try and improve as many el other elements as they possibly can apart from their core business, which is that there is an extraction of minerals. So you end up sometimes with really good policies around employees and how they are being treated, anti-discrimination um, rules being applied all the time, um, boards that are a bit more diverse. And then with pretty good score, ESG scores, for instance, from um, MSCI and other ratings, ratings companies because of that because they have met some ESG metrics. So you can actually be doing a really good job on your operation side, even if 
what you are actually doing is, yeah, probably one of the more contentious industries at the moment. Mm. I feel like the financial services industry would benefit a lot from having an ESG framework. Um, have you seen any, like, for example, the banking sector, have you seen them doing anything good in this in this space? Yes, there's a lot. There's a lot happening at the moment with uh, things like green loans, sustainability loans that are basically linked to you undertaking a whole lot of actions that are deemed to be either green or sustainable. I haven't actually seen a lot of the discussion as to what exactly, like the detail of what exactly would be green or sustainable. I think sometimes the devil's in the details. So um, they'll be quite interesting because that will probably depend more on each bank and how they assess those things. Um, but definitely, and that's been, I mean, that's one of the drivers why so many, especially for-profit companies these days are trying to adopt a more sustainable way in which they do business. It is the fact that access to finance is becoming a bit more restricted than it used to be. And it's becoming far more important that you actually show that if nothing else, you're making an effort in this space, as opposed to just continuing with business as usual and kind of pretending that nothing is happening around you. Um, okay, so it's a good idea to earn those green credits then. What could happen if you, or if your organization um, ignores the implementation of um, an ESG framework into their organization? That's, I guess that's the interesting part because a lot of times from a legal perspective, these are not things that are legislated yet most of the times, then you don't necessarily have the law coming and sanctioning you for not doing something. On the other hand, the public and markets have a pretty good way of still um, expressing their displeasure. One example that was quite interesting, also from a mining background as it happens, is um, Rio Tinto in Australia. They actually, undertook some action that was in accordance with Western Australian law. They destroyed some Aboriginal artifacts in order to mine some more in a particular area. They had all the requisite, all the legal licenses that were required at the time. It created such an uproar that the board actually had to resign. So this is a company that took legal action, they took action within the legal bounds of what they were allowed to do and still it created because the legislation history is extraordinarily outdated and um, in a sense i guess the public was also transmitting the message that that legislation needs to change but they actually followed followed the legal requirements at the time mm. okay so yes you do have so it's not necessarily either you end up with a backlash from the public. And in this case, for instance, your board resigns. In other cases, you end up not having access to finance and that makes it quite difficult to make your business better or to implement various changes that you need. So that's a lot of times the mechanisms are either backlash from the public or um, your inability to move your business any further. It sounds like it would be a pretty good idea to have some form of 
policy and framework within your business or your organization just for the future proofing in this case um, you mentioned there's no actual law surrounding it yet but I suppose in this case it's probably better to be ahead of the curve right um, it is and it's uh, just to make a point there is that if you do have because that's where other companies also got themselves into trouble if you do have internal policies one law that is developing now quite a bit is around greenwashing which is that if you have a policy and if you're going to promise the world out there that you are going to take all these steps then you'd better follow up and take those steps because otherwise you may have and there are more and more regulators doing this in New Zealand as well as Australia and other places, um, you will find yourself <laughs> you will find yourself as part of a lawsuit being asked to actually, what have you done in accordance with your policy, or where, or have you not achieved anything? Partly because, especially if you are a business, then people rely on that when, for instance, they make investment decisions, when they decide to buy your shares, or when they try and buy your products. So that is becoming more important. And that's an area that's certainly developing very, very quickly. Mm, cool. And Anna, how does a lawyer come to specialize in ESG? Um, either you've heard of it, as you do now. I, um, as it happened, I fell into it a bit by chance. And a lot of things, I mean, even environmental law, I kind of fell into it by um, chance, which is that we were having these um, internal meetings with a lot of colleagues across Dentons in the world and they were at a pretty awkward time and I was available <laughs> was the short of it and then I thought that it sounded like a really interesting topic um, and it is a it is very much a development space at the moment and in New Zealand in particular I was just talking to colleagues in Australia and there it's a little bit they see a little bit more movement than probably we have seen here. But um, no, definitely, I think it certainly helps to be in a law firm like Denton's, which is international and where you have far more offices and your clients benefit from the fact that they can be represented across a number of jurisdictions. We tend to talk a lot to each other among colleagues. And so we find out what the trends are in different countries and we can see a bit sooner what is coming New Zealand's way and help our clients with that. Cool. And just on the um, on the environmental side, um, climate change has obviously been the elephant in the room for a wee while now. Um, at the moment, yes. <laughs> yeah, at the moment that we've still got the ongoing um, reform and potential repair of the RMA and, and all that saga that's happening in that space. Um, but on the climate on the climate side, which is one of the acts that we don't have yet, um, what are you seeing there? Well, it's going it's going to be quite interesting to see what the new government is taking action on or not. On the other hand, I think there are quite a few international commitments that New Zealand has already signed up to. You obviously have the Paris Agreement, and that's already been legislated in the Climate Change Response Act. Um, you also have now the free trade agreement with the European Union that actually refers to meeting Paris targets. And it would actually be um, 
it could give rise to a trade dispute if you don't meet those targets. That's going to be quite interesting. I believe that that's being ratified by the EU Parliament in about three days. Um, so there is, there's been quite a lot of work done in New Zealand over the last few years. Maybe it doesn't seem that we have progressed as much, but there's certainly been the the bricks in the framework of what it means to have a climate change response. You know, we now have an emissions reduction plan for the whole country. It's not great, but you know, was the first one. We have a national adaptation plan and that's also going to be redone. So there have been some steps taken, not as fast as many of us had hoped. <laughs> and I'm just not sure uh, what the new government is going to do. And I guess that's where it's becoming interesting is how solid is this framework that was created under the previous government and whether it outlasted. And then on the other hand, because New Zealand is subject to, uh, you know, speaking of ESG more broadly as a country, it's kind of subject to the same global peer pressures as a company would be in a way. In the world, as people are seeing more and more climate destruction happening and they and everyone starts to understand how expensive it is to actually fix things, take Cyclone Gabriel. It is extraordinarily costly to deal both with the disruption and with fixing a lot of the things in the aftermath. People will start realizing that it's here, it's quite real, and maybe if we stop polluting as much, we might actually minimize some of those costs and then change their behavior. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe another episode to cover that point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and probably a good time to move forward into our quick fire segment now, Anna. Um, we've got five questions for you. Obviously, these ones you are the ones that you don't know about. Um, so here we go. Yes. Um, who is someone that you look up to and why? Wow. Uh, it's the partner I work for, Nikki McIndoe. I just think that she's a great leader of our team and someone who encourages you as a lawyer and gives you a lot of leeway while also being extraordinarily supportive. And I find that quite a rare combination of um, of a person in the legal profession, frankly. So, yeah. Cool. What is something that you do for you and why? I read a lot. I read a lot and I read pretty much whatever I want on whatever topic I want, because I find that it um, it's both relaxing, though I haven't actually read literature in quite a while. Um, both relaxing, but also kind of just broadens your mind and your vocabulary. I find that quite interesting as a lawyer. You, can never have sufficient words to express what you would like to say. So might as well up the chances that you learn more words. Cool. Um, we kind of covered this a wee bit earlier, how you fell into your area, but I suppose, why do you love it so much? It is so broad to me. I was, uh, when I was little, I was pretty convinced I was going to become a doctor. And I find that environmental law, a bit like the human body, deals with every single element of the earth and space, because that's also included. I remember when I studied environmental law, that was also included. You're basically dealing with 
every little bit. There's the built environment, there's the natural environment, you get cultural heritage, you have so many elements, they're all interrelated. And, you know, we're not really earth doctors, we're just dealing with the legislation that deals with all these various aspects and they're interrelated, that's also very interesting. A lot of my work involves working with experts. So I don't need to know all the science behind all this, but you find out so many fascinating things. Now, oh, it's why I love it. Mm. <laughs> cool. Um, what is something that you wish law school had better prepared you for when entering your first role? I had no idea how to work in an office, <laughs> but I have no, I, I, I do not think I had an expectation for, I, I, I think you need to hit that wall on your own. And I, yeah, it's like anything else. Um, no, I, I, I'm actually, I'm pretty happy with what they did. Maybe because in Romania, it's um, reasonably different to here. We studied all the areas of law you didn't have anything that was optional. So you actually had this really broad base you start mm. off with, and then you get released into the world and told, pick whatever it is that you would like. Um, I think that was quite, ended up being quite good because you did, we all picked different things. So, um, and also you didn't feel that maybe you missed out on particular topics because everything that had been available at the time and was known at the time, you well, would have already covered. Hmm. Yeah, so it wasn't like, oh, you know, I missed out on environmental law because they didn't offer it at the time. Well, it was there. It wasn't great when I first studied it, but it, it was but it was there. So no, I'm actually, I think I, I got a sense that they prepared you as well as a school can. Right on. Cool. And final question here is what is a piece of advice that you would give a young Anna? Uh, is that you have time. You have far more time than you think. So there's no need to rush. And you can, you know, make mistakes, get back up. And it's fine. And then it kind of means that it gives you a bit more freedom to try out things that you might have not thought of or try out things that you think would be risky. Like the number of times you get offered um, options and positions and you're thinking, oh, I'm not going to do this because in an ideal world, it won't look fantastic on my CV. Hmm. In hindsight, <laughs> you know, you can always create a good narrative around why you've change some things or why you've you know spent a few years working for an NGO trying to save the whales and save the world um so yeah I think you have time and don't worry about it as much nice one what a piece of advice and what a way to finish our episode <clears throat> but before we say hi to that a quick thank you to our listeners subscribers and sponsors your support means a lot if you guys have any feedback on this episode, please leave us a rating on your podcast app or you can email sam at chismclark.co.nz so that we can continue producing more of these sorts of conversations that you want to hear. A huge thanks to our wonderful guest, Anna Kokulescu, for joining us on the podcast and sharing her experience and insight into the world of ESG. 
Thanks again. What a lawyer and a cocky school. Thank you, Sam. So, ESG. Well, I think we know a little bit more about it now, but from what Anna pointed out, we still don't really have anything concrete or definitive that points to it actually being legislation and, and necessary. To that extent, I suppose, it creates the interest bubble from Anna's perspective, and certainly mine as well, that any company, any industry can essentially apply an ESG framework and reap the benefits by the sounds of it later on down the track when all of this, um, this area becomes a lot more popular and perhaps even regulated. We heard there are some industries and some companies that are already slightly ahead of the curve and to that extent, you know, they are seen as doing the right thing. And one final thing that I found really interesting from Anna when I asked her why does she love it so much and you know, where did the interest spark? It was basically that she fell into it because she started in a very, very different area of law, which ultimately led to her interest in ESG, which in my opinion is really cool in this profession because it can open so many doors that might spark an interest and in not only develop you as a lawyer, but also your expertise in your ultimate practice area. Thanks again to Anna and the whole ESG community and to our listeners in particular. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, look forward to sharing our next one with you soon. Cheers.